Okay, good morning everyone. Great to see you. Top of the morning. If you've not yet signed our Social Action Committee's uh, initiative to send Hanukkah greetings to the soldiers of Israel, please do so. You can see Sarah right after class. But be part of this uh, wonderful effort to lift the spirits of our holy brothers and sisters who are protecting the Jewish homeland and the Jewish destiny. Okay, Parshat Vayishlach, page 170 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. As always, our overview of the Parsha followed by our in-depth look at uh, a few psukim. Usually only a few psukim. Okay, page 170. So the Parsha, of course, begins where last week's Parsha left off because Sefer Bereshis is a phenomenal narrative unfolding, a great storyline. I've said before that each, even though each year we know what to expect, we know what to anticipate, still it gets better and better. Maybe because we know what's coming, because we know what to anticipate. It's like my kids want me to put on the same... The same DVD, they've watched the same thing a million times. But because they know what's coming, they enjoy it even more. They want to watch it over and over again. So we know what's coming, but it's fantastic. The end of last week's parsha, Yaakov had enough of his deceitful uh, father-in-law. And he breaks free, takes his wives and his children and his uh, great assets and possessions and material wealth. And he departs, he leaves Lavan. And the beginning of this week's parsha, we pick up that Yaakov is going to be reunited. He's going to reconcile with his brother, with Esav. So our parasha begins that Yaakov sends uh, messengers ahead of him to Esav. We know that Yaakov plans three things. And one can't help but, of course, feel the timeliness of the parsha, which always is so timely. As the uh, confrontation with Iran unfortunately heats up and the international community tragically does not seem to understand the uh, seriousness of the issue that we're dealing with and and the consequences for Israel, we can't help but uh, draw from Yaakov's strategy of the threefold combination, which is the always, this is the Jewish response, this is the Jewish uh, response to anticipating conflict and confrontation, the combination of prayer, diplomacy, and the military option being on the table. And that's what Yaakov did. Yaakov said, diplomacy, I'm sending gifts. And we'll see, that's the section we're going to study. When he comes to Esau, his first goal is diplomacy. Let's see if we can negotiate. Let's see if we can come to an amicable conclusion. And if the diplomacy fails, then he's prepared for the military option. He readies himself for war. All the while, all the while, complementing both of those options is prayer. Because one has to take human initiative in order to achieve results. And at the same time, recognize that ultimately our destiny is in the hands of the Almighty. So that's the threefold strategy Yaakov produces. And as I said, it's what we have, um, it's what would all of us have, uh, the Jewish people have drawn from since then. It's what we need to be doing now. Prayer, diplomacy, and the military option heavily being on the table. So Yaakov sends angels ahead to bring these gifts and uh, tells them, Sorry, I haven't seen you, bro. Until now, I've been living with this deceitful, manipulative, low-life father-in-law of mine. I mean, Yaakov would never talk like that, but I'm speaking like that on his behalf. And uh, therefore, I've been delayed. Of course, we're told, what did he mean, Garti? It was an illusion. He was telling Esav, lest you think that your younger brother, the yeshiva bacher, the moral compass of the family, by living with Lavan has lost his way. Lest you think that because I've been living in Vegas all these years, or living uh, wherever all these years in Sin City, that therefore I've compromised my values and who I am, in Lavan Garti, but nevertheless, Tarek Mitzvah Shemarti. I never compromised an iota 
I am the same person I am. We spoke about the uh, the drusha last Shabbos. Yaakov's obsession with rocks. Yaakov is solid as a rock and sends that message ahead to his brother to uh, to Esav. Um, Yaakov is uh, nervous, so he divides the camps as a strategy in order to preserve himself. He turns to God in the context of the prayer. Katonti mikola chasadim. This is uh, Yaakov recognizes I'm humbled by your graciousness, by your kindness. Umikola emes. I am humbled. I'm made smaller by the truth. We've studied this in the past. I understand what it means to be humbled by God's generosity. If God goes above and beyond, what does it mean to be humbled by the truth, by justice? If Yaakov earned certain protection, why is he humbled by it? So we talked about that in the, in the past. But that's the prayer. So Yaakov sends gifts. Yaakov girds himself for war. And Yaakov prays to God and says, Save me from my brother, from Esav. However he presents himself to me. Whether he presents himself as Achi, as my brother, right? Because we know what happens with our enemies. In the 11th hour, when we tighten the sanctions around them, and they're suffocating, how do they present themselves? Achi. Love. We're, we're, we're on the same page. Moderate. We're great. The new president of Iran. Or Miyad Esav. Or if he presents himself as the fanatic. I don't know which Esav will show. God, save me from either one. Hatzileni na Miyad Achi, Miyad Esav. The redundancy is to express that he says, I don't know which one's going to show his face. Will it be my enemy presenting himself as my brother? Or will it be my brother presenting himself as my enemy? Whichever one it is, God, intervene and, and save me. Of course, we know that night Yaakov goes back to recover the Pachim Ketanim. As they're journeying and traveling with his family, he crosses back over to recover the small jugs, the small vessels. We learn from here something actually astounding, which is that Sadiqim Chasa, that Sadiqim are scrupulous and vigilant on their money. Now that sounds like a terrible Jewish stereotype. We're cheap. But he left a few jugs. How much could they have been worth? On the other side of the river, Yaakov leaves his family, goes back by himself, vulnerable and alone, because he left a few shekel behind. He left a few bucks. How much could they have been worth already? What does it mean when the Torah says, from here we learn that the righteous care about every dollar. That sounds somewhat derogatory. So that too needs to be... uh, explored another time, rather than derogatory, it actually speaks to the value of every penny. That if we understand what resources are and what they can do, then we would never be willing to waste it. Then every dollar, every penny is precious, not because we care about our own honor, not because we care about our own pleasure, but because we care about our own capacity of what we can, of what we can do with it. So, um, so Yaakov goes back, and of course he... Uh, he wrestles that night. He's by himself. Because he's alone, the angel wrestles with him. We're not going to spend time on this now. We've delved into this in depth in the past, including last year. I think it was last year's class, which you could listen to on Yi Torah. We saw the Ritva, the Rambam and Moranavuchim. Was this a real wrestling match? Did this actually happen in reality? Was this a prophecy? Was this a psychosomatic disorder? Did Yaakov had some spiritual experience and he woke up with this pain in a sciatic nerve because it was a psychosomatic um, representation of a spiritual experience he went through? Many opinions, all valid within our tradition. We spoke about it at length last year. But what I would argue, by Yavasar Yaakov Levadel, this transform transformative experience that Yaakov undergoes in which according to most opinions he was wrestling with himself this angel that he wrestles with is his alter ego 
is filled with doubt, fills with, filled with hesitancy. We saw, I think it was the Svarno last year, who says, Yaakov's tempted to run. Yaakov's running away. He's going back to get the Pacham Ketanam because he can't... The old Yaakov, that old voice of insecurity creeps up. I can't confront Esav. He's bigger, he's stronger. He's a brute. There's no way I can defeat him. I'm going to lose my family. And what's his first instinct? Flight. Run. Flee. And what's this angel, what is God telling him? You cannot run away from your destiny. You cannot run away from your destiny. And sends him back on the path because where we're destined to go, we cannot escape. We can't run away from our, our destiny. So according to most, it's his alter ego. It's his insecurity. And he overcomes it. He wrestles with it throughout the night. And what night of the year is that on the calendar? On the Jewish calendar. Does anyone know which night do we celebrate the anniversary of this wrestling match between Yaakov and the angel? Kol Nidre night. Yom Kippur night. Because what are we doing for the 24 hours of Yom Kippur? We're wrestling with our alter egos. We have a sense of levado. The only time that you can really grow, the only time that you can really make progress is when you're levado. When we're by ourselves. We have to understand that, you know, we live in a time where there's tremendous discomfort being by ourselves. In the car, I got to turn the radio on. I got to be looking at my phone. I have to be watching something, reading something, listening to something, talking to somebody. To be alone, to us, we're very paranoid. We're very insecure. We're very, you know, people are very uncomfortable. What does the Chumash say, Ish, instead of saying, well, we know it, it is an angel? Good question. When the Torah uses the term Ish, Vayavik Ish Imo, why does it say, the man wrestled with him? First of all, maybe it's its way of alluding to that it was Yaakov himself. It was, it was his sense of ish, it was his alter ego. But the idea that when we're alone, it's when we're alone that we make progress, that we grow, when we struggle with ourself, when we refuse to ever be alone in our own thoughts, assessing our own reality, setting our own goals, measuring our own identity, our own mission statement, who we are and what we're doing. Right? What I wrote about in the blog last week, Chabad rabbis are born with an incredible gift. Shluchim are born with an unbelievable gift. As soon as they're assigned their city, they know their mission in life. It's a gift. It's, it's a burden. It's a responsibility. It's a mysterious nefesh. But it's a gift. Because they know their mission. My mission is Spokane, Washington. My mission is Vietnam. My mission is Hawaii. My mission is wherever my mission is. Boca Raton, Florida. My mission. That's my mission. The rest of us have to examine if we're a lawyer, a doctor... Uh, uh, raising our children, retired. But what's my mission statement? Never confuse working for a living and living. What we do to earn a living and what we do. So what's our mission statement? Who are we? And are we achieving it? What are we uniquely positioned to contribute to the world? It's levado. It's when we're by ourselves that we can really examine and reflect on those questions. When there's noise all around us, the noise prevents us from really examining and, and really measuring whether we're fulfilling our mission. What is our mission and are we fulfilling it? What should our lives be all about? What's our goal? And are we achieving it? So it's when Yaakov is levado that he achieves this. He wakes up in the morning. We permanently recall by uh, ourselves not eating the, uh, the gid anasha, the sciatic nerve. And then we have the confrontation. This is the part that we're going to study in depth. In a moment, they part ways. Yaakov goes to Shechem. In Shechem, Dina, Leah's daughter, his daughter is abducted by the people of uh, Shechem, Shechem's sons, and uh, Yaakov's family learn, and uh, they feel a sense of tremendous outrage. Yaakov's uh, sons 
uh, step forward in order to uh, in order to intervene. Yaakov is very critical of their intervention, but nevertheless, we can't help but read it with a certain sense of pride, because the Jewish people are often depicted as passive, as meek, as uh, incapable of defending ourselves through our history. But here, there's a precedent for the Jewish people: our ability to stand up for ourselves. So they, of course, convinced Shem, you want Dina? That's wonderful. We'd love to have you in the family. But you have to convert. So do a bris milah, circumcise everybody, and then we'll be able to uh, finalize this arrangement. They undergo the circumcision when they're at the most vulnerable and weak. They step forward and they decimate the people of Shechem. Yaakov is critical. He reminds them at the very end of Sefer Bracious when he's giving the brachos, we see Yaakov is critical of Shimon and Levi for their strategy, their deception. But why is Yaakov critical? Not because he thinks that what they did is unjust. He just thinks that it was it jeopardizes the safety of Jewish people. Shechem is going to take revenge. But not because he's actually critical because he thinks that it's unjust. Anyway, they decimate Shechem. Yaakov continues on to Beit El. Rivka and Devorah, the Meneka, die. And Shem gives a bracha to Yaakov, renames him Yisrael. Our name, B'nai Yisrael, we are the children of Yisrael. Binyamin is born to Rachel, a second son. Right When she gave the name Yosef, the very name Yosef was... Please be Mosif, give me another son. It's got to be a certain complex Yosef grew up with, right? He's good, but give me another. She was already on to the next son. At the birth of her son, when she gave him a name, before the naming, she was already thinking about give me another son. And here she receives that second son, Yemen. She dies, she's buried on the way. Kevarachel, I don't know how many of you have visited, it's in a fortress today. If it's the real Kevarachel, I encourage you to read about that. According to many or most historians, where we visit as Kever Rachel is unlikely actually where Rachel Imenu is buried. But symbolically, it's a lovely place to go nonetheless. Um, or maybe it is. It's a debate, as I say. Um, and then we have the story of, of Ruven and uh, Bila and uh, Yaakov and, and uh, Yitzchak are reunited. Yitzchak dies. Esav separates himself from Yaakov. And the Parsha ends with a long list, a line of genealogy. Okay, so let's get into the Pesukim we want to take a look at. Perak Lamed Gimel, chapter 33, verse 1. 33.1, it's in the Stone Arts Scroll Chumash, page 176. Okay, so where we're picking up the story is after Yaakov um, survives, awakens in the morning, they have this bizarre exchange, he and the angel, what's your name, what's your name, give me a blessing, spoke about it last year, you can listen online. Yaakov wakes up, and he is reunited with his camp, with his wives and his children and his entourage, and it's time for this confrontation. Yaakov wakes up and recognizes, I cannot escape my destiny, I have to go live it. I'm ready. He's empowered to go live his destiny. He lifts his eyes and he sees, Esav's coming. And with him, 400 men. So he divides his children among his wives, Leah, Rachel, and their two, and their two maidservants. It's interesting. What's the order here? Leah and Rachel. Last week we saw we spoke about Rachel and Leah, because even though he married Leah first, Leah was the principal wife, and we saw the Torah. Rashi says we're not really critical of Yaakov for doing that, because even Leah's own children, later when they reference their own mother, and what would you call their mother's co-wife? Do we have a name for that? It's not a stepmother. It's not a... <laughs> we have no name for that. Right? Their mother's co-wife. 
Anyway, but even they put Rachel first. But nevertheless, here the Torah Yaakov puts Leah first, which is interesting. One might argue, I'm not saying I am, but maybe when it comes to dividing the camp and which one's going to go first and be in the first line of attack, maybe that's why Leah's first. <laughs> that's true. Then he would have put the, the Shvachos first. Okay, fair point. Which he does. He puts the, the maidservants first. So yeah, maybe that's the reason. So what's the order of vulnerability to this attack? The maidservants, let them take the first hit. And then Leah... And then Rachel. Rashi says, Acharon, Acharon, Chaviv. Bereshis Rabbah says, the, the use of the term Acharonim means at the end, Acharon, Acharon, Chaviv. Means as opposed to as we usually think that whatever comes first is greatest honor, sometimes Acharon, Acharon, Chaviv. The one that's mentioned last is the greatest honor. And Yaakov set himself first. And he bowed seven times as he approached his brother. Yaakov was deferential, bowed seven times. Says the Torah, Avar Lefnehem, Amar Rashib, sorry, Avar Lefnehem, Amar, Yaakov says to himself, Im Yavo Oso Rasha Lehilachem, Yilachem Bitchila. Remember, Yaakov in this confrontation is prepared for whatever comes out. If it will be reconciliation, fantastic. But if Esav comes to battle, he puts himself first. Avar Lifnaim, he puts himself between Esav and his family so that he can take the brunt that he will, that he will uh, fight first. <coughs> Look at the Balaturim. He was deferential seven times. So this number seven is significant, says the Balaturim. And we see the number elsewhere. And maybe there's a parallel. Pasuk in Mishle says that the righteous person falls seven times and gets up. Right? The righteous person is not the perfect person who never faced temptation, who never faced failure. The righteous person has experienced failure, has fallen prey to temptation seven times, and gets up every time. What's the connection to Yaakov bowing seven times? Is, is each of the times he bowed a failure? Should he not have bowed? I'm not sure. Is it just... Balaturim likes the number seven, the parallel. He bowed seven times. The righteous fall seven times. What's the connection? I'm not setting you up. I'm actually asking you a question. And then the second reference, the seven toevos belibo, seven temptations from his heart. Was this a process of Yaakov cleansing himself, Yaakov seeking atonement? As he's coming closer to Esav, he bows seven times. He's trying to, he's getting up seven times, he's trying to perfect himself so that he'll merit God's divine protection. I'm not sure, I'm not sure exactly what the, what the Balaturim is referencing. So what happens next? Pasuk Dalet, Vayart, Esav Lekraso, so Esav runs to greet him. Vayichabkeyu, and he embraces him. Vayipol al tzavarav, vayishakeyu, vayivku. He falls on his neck, he embraces him and he kisses him. Vayivku, and they together cry. Vayichabkeyu, Rashi says, Nizgalgalu, what's this, this embrace? Is it genuine? Or is it a joke? Is it superficial, fake? Or is it genuine? What's going on here? Says Rashi, genuine. Nizgalgalu, Racham, Akishirou, Mishtachav, Akolishtachav, Oshalalu. You know what happened? It's an unbelievable to me, Rashi. 
Yaakov won him over. You have to understand, for all these years, all these years, Esav harbored unbelievable anger, resentment, desire for revenge. He came in for a battle. He came in for a war. And what happens in a moment? What happens in the blink of an eye? Yaakov bows down seven times. And that's it. Esav's won over. And therefore hugs him. And says, Rashi, it's sincere. Nizgalgalu Rachamav, his compassion overcame him. When he saw when he saw Yaakov bow each of those times. I often encourage people and try to do this myself. Sometimes you have meetings which are confrontational. Someone's got a beef. Somebody's got a uh, complaint. Somebody's got an issue. And they come in ready for a battle. They're going to argue it out with you. You think you're right and I'm coming and I'm proving to you why you're wrong and why you're, you're... All these things. And if you deflate their fight by being deferential to begin with, I'm really sorry you feel this way, I understand where you're coming from, from your perspective, so on and so forth, then like Esav, you can win someone over. Take the high road. Yaakov took the high road. Did Yaakov do anything wrong by taking the Bechorah? No. Yaakov purchased it. He was entitled to it. And he wouldn't have received it had he not achieved it in the way that he did. Aside from the fact that his mother, the prophet, has said this is the will of the Almighty, but Yaakov knew that he did nothing wrong. Why should he have bowed? Too many people stand on principle. Let him bow to me. Esav is wicked. Esav is a Russia. Esav is not the chosen one. I am. Let him bow to me. I had to run for my life and flee my parents' home. I had to live with the miserable love on. Let him bow to me. Too many people stand on principle. Let him apologize. Let her apologize. Let them initiate. Let them come to me. Yaakov has no problem taking the high road. I always say, you should take the high road because there's never traffic. It's, so little, it's, a, it's much less traveled. Take the high road because you'll never run into traffic because no one else takes it. But take the high road. Right. Take the high road. So Yaakov takes the high road and what's the result? Exactly what he wanted. Esav embraces him and according to Rashi it's sincere the word Vayishakehu has dots on top of every letter not only in your Chumash in front of you but in the Sefer Torah itself says Rashi there are dots Sefri quotes a debate why are there dots some say the dots show this was not authentic this was inauthentic this was superficial this was fake so there's a debate. Are the dots showing that, yeah, he kissed him. But we all know, really, he tried to dig his teeth into Yaakov's neck. And God saved him because Yaakov's neck turned to stone. Right? That's what the Medrash says. Right? The dots are the teeth marks. So that's one interpretation. The other is no. While Esav came looking for war, because halacha yadua. It's part of the very fabric of, of uh, creation that Esav despises Yaakov. For this brief moment, Yaakov won him over. And how did Yaakov win him over for the brief moment? Because he took the high road. He took the high road, which is what the Sfarno adds as well. Look at the Sfarno Pasuk Dalad. Vayarat Esav, Nepach libo Yaakov. His heart was transformed in a moment because of the humility of Yaakov. 
כאמרם, שאחי השילוני כלל הסיסרו בכאן אך נכנס לכל הרוחוס. הן לא עשב כן בריוני בי שני לא יהיה נכר בבייס מקדשנו, כמו שאיר רבי יוחנן בן יוחאי בן זכאי, באמרו בריוני דיספן לא שבקינן. He took the high road. Sforno says, עשב, his whole demeanor changed in a moment. He came in looking for a battle, a fight. Yaakov was deferential. Psh, they left his brothers. They left his brothers. I think there's a very powerful lesson from all of us. So after this embrace, he lifts his eyes. Who's he? Esav. He sees these wives. He sees the men. He says, who are these people? The children that God has graciously given your loyal servant, me. There's a lot of peculiar things about this Pasuk. He sees them and he says, Who are these to you? I mean, just say, who are these? Who are these to you? What does that mean? And Yaakov didn't answer the question. He asked about the Nashim, the women. And what does he answer him? Hayaladim, asher chanan alokim. So what's going on over here? Rashi says, Mi elalach, mi elalios shalchach. Who are they that they should be yours? What does that mean? Who are the, you, they that they should be yours? So look at the Sifsei Chachamim. Ritzon Latar, it's the mi ela mashmash liyada shel mi hayu. The mi ela sounds like Esav was unfamiliar with to whom, with whom are they associated? Who do they belong to? Ve'achakach amar lach. And then he says to you, Lachain pirish liyos shacha. Klomar me'ezat sarhem shacha. Imeim banecha o avadecha o schirecha. What was he really asking? Not who are they or even are they yours? But who are they to you? Are they your children? Are they your servants? Are they your employees? Are they your schleppers? Are they, who are they? Who's this entourage? Who is this group that you have here? That's what the Sforno says. Who are they? Your servants, your children, your house, your, your entourage. Who are these people? Who are these people? And what does he answer him? Not about the wives, but about the Yeladim. Says the Ramban, Mi Elalach, Shal al Hanashim al Yeladim, Vaana, and he answered, Ayeladim Ashechanan al Kimas Avdecha, Derach Musr, Kilo Ratzalam Hashem Nashav, Vehaven Esav Shin Amos Yeladim. There's a Musr here. Yaakov was not trying to draw attention to his wives. Esav was not the kind of guy that you wanted interacting with your wife. So he didn't answer him that these women are my wives. He deflected. He said, These are my children. And Esav would understand implicitly, well, those must be their mothers. Those must be your wives. But says the Ramban, he intentionally didn't answer, these are my wives. He said, these are my children, because he was trying to disassociate, or trying to, not to draw attention for Esav and his wives. Pasuk Vav. So now that it's clear, the, 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 the coast is clear, so now the Shvachos, first, they were first in line, approach with their children, and they're deferential towards Esav. Next comes Leah. And then come Yosef and Rachel. What do you mean Yosef and Rachel? In all the other cases it says, The Shvachos, the maidservants, and their children. Leah and her children. Now it says Yosef and Rachel. Why didn't it say Rachel and her son? Says Rashi, All of them it says, the mothers approach before the son. Amar imi Russia. 
Amod Kinegda, Akvenu Milestakaba, Mikan Zacha Yosef, the Birchas Ale Ayan. Yosef was an incredibly, first of all, insightful, smart, sensitive, loyal, brave son. So he says to himself, My, my, my mother's co wife? Eh. Leah? She's not such a looker. I'm not so worried about her. The Shvachas? Eh. But my mother, ooh, my mother, she is gorgeous. She's beautiful. My mother's to die for. Ace of the Russia gets one look at my mother. This whole reconciliation, which is going well, the whole thing could turn. So I don't want Esau looking at my mother. So what does Yosef do? He steps in between to protect his mother from Esau and also to prevent Esau from really getting a good look at his mother. And says, how old is Yosef here? Well, we'll see later that the Ibn Ezra says that the oldest son of Yaakov is 12. So Yosef has to be significantly younger. But he's a brave young man. He's, he's precocious. He's precocious and brave and smart and uh, courageous. He steps forward. And Rashi says, the merit of this act of bravery, he merited Birchas Alei Ayin. What's the Birchas Alei Ayin? What? Well, Yosef himself was a magnificently handsome man. But also, we studied this when we studied the, the concept of Ayin Hara. Gemara says that if you want to protect yourself from Ayin Hara, you draw from Yosef. You say, I am the progeny of Yosef. Ben Paras Yosef, Ben Paras Alei Ayin. This idea of Alei Ayin. Yosef showed a favorable eye, which we also learn with Eshes Potiphar. Yosef respected who belongs to whom. Yosef didn't violate boundaries by taking that which didn't belong to him. And therefore, we protect ourselves from other people taking what belongs to us, Ayin Hara, the evil eye, violating our boundary by drawing from Yosef. So here Yosef shows insight, foresight, and therefore Yosef is this Ale Ayin. He has this vision. And he merits the exchange of vision. Yes? Gam in addition to the Shvachos. After the Shvachos. Right, it could have said Vatigash Lea. I guess Gam means in addition to the Shvachos. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fair question. But I think it just means following the, the maidservants. Pasaches. Vayomer milocha kolamachane azesha pagashti. Vayomer limsochein beine adoni. So Esav continues. Okay, that's nice. We've now identified your wives. We've now identified your children. What's the, what's the deal with the rest of this group? This whole entourage. You're traveling with an army, with an encampment. Who are all these people? And what does Yaakov answer? It's to find favor in the eyes of my master. So they're broken up into groups and they each came separately as groups. And that's why he's saying, who is this entire encampment? What's going on over here? What, what did you mean by this entire encampment? Next, Pasuk Tess. Esav now volunteers to Yaakov. Esav, you know, they're, they're trying to catch up on lost time. So what's going on in your life? Tell me about yourself. Esav says, Yeshli Rav. I'm doing pretty well for myself. 
Achi, Yilacha Sherlach. So, why is Esav saying that? What precipitates Esav turning to him and saying that? Because Esav is saying, Would you send me all these gifts? And why do you have this whole entourage trying to impress me? And why are you treating me like I'm indigent and impoverished? Yeshli Rav, I'm pretty well off myself. I've also done pretty well for myself. And therefore, Yilacha Sherlach. What's yours is yours. Keep it. Keep it. I don't need it. Keep it. I've got plenty. What's yours? Keep as yours. Says Rashi, He was expressing gratitude. Not necessarily an attribute you would associate with Esav, but he was expressing, he was expressing uh, gratitude. Says the Sforna, what does he mean? Yeshli Rav? They need Sarach, I don't need it. Achi, my brother, what was he saying, Achi? Why did he add, my brother? What's yours is yours. So says this foreigner, what he was saying is, since you are my brother, you don't need to honor me with a gift. Why are you treating me like, like I'm some stranger? Asaph seems a little nostalgic here. Asaph seems a little bit emotional. Why are you treating me like a stranger? You've got to give a gift and you've got to go through protocol. I'm your brother. What's yours is yours. Don't worry about it. We're good. Yeshli Rav. This phrase, this expression. Esav says, I have a lot. I have a lot. Oh, so let's look. The Orachayim says, They've already begun the conversation. They've already passed the introductions. Why does Esav interrupt to say, my brother? We saw the Svarno's interpretation. But the Orachayim is asking, why is Esav specifically saying, my brother? And it should have said, Vayomer Esav, Achi, my brother, Yeshli Rav, I've got plenty. What does he mean, Yeshli Rav, I've got plenty? Listen, my brother, keep what's yours. Achain, so answers the Orachayim, Kavanas Esav, who So Esav says the following, If the reason you're giving me these gifts is to, uh, is for my good, Yeshli Rav, Don't worry, I'm doing all right. I've done well. I'm good. I don't need it. And if the reason you're giving it to me is because you're fearful that I am going to attack you, so you're giving it to me in order to win favor, as, as he said, those were Yaakov's words, to find favor, I'm your brother. Esav is saying to him, you know how you're going to know that I'm sincere in embracing you as a brother? Understand the beautiful parallel now. Remember we saw earlier, when Yaakov prays to God, he says, Save me, whether it's my brother presenting himself as an enemy or an enemy presenting himself as my brother, I don't know which Esav I'm going to meet. Miyad achi, miyad Esav. What does Esav now say to him? Achi, I'm your brother. What are you giving me these gifts? The only way you'll know that I'm sincere, achi, take the gifts back. Because so long as I keep these gifts, you'll think that, yeah, it's a quid pro quo. You bribed me. You gave me gifts. You lessened the sanctions. So I'm giving you... I want you to know I have actually changed. I want you to know that we've reconciled. I want you to know we're whole. You're my brother. How will you know my br- you're my brother? How can I build confidence? Take your gifts back. 
I don't need them. And that's why he puts it in the middle of the sentence. Yeshli Rav, I've got plenty, but I'm not giving it back to you because I have plenty. I would love to keep it anyway. I'm not giving it back to you because I have plenty. I'm giving it back to you, Yilacha Asher because you keep what's yours so that you know that I am achi, that it's a sincere gesture that I am your brother. Yes? Uh, is it possible this, this comment, Yilcha Asher means that he recognizes that, that Yaakov has the bracha, that Yitzchak's bracha, he has the bracha, and... and I'm sorry, yes, that's what Rashi meant. I'm sorry. And he's made peace with this, and it's, it's yours? Yeah, 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 I, mis- I misrepresented Rashi before. Kan hodelo ala brachos doesn't mean on the brachos Yaakov gave him. It meant implicit within this, you keep what's yours, is that the bachora is yours. Yeah, absolutely, I'm sorry, I misrepresented that before. I mean, it's hard, it's a difficult, he's quoting the Breshis Rabbah, he's quoting the Medrash. It's hard to say that, because how do you reconcile that with the Halacha Yedua She'esasone is Yaakov. If Esav acknowledges that Yaakov indeed deserves the blessings, then why does he, why does the battle of Esav and Yaakov continue until today? Yeah, that's the question. Anyway, the Kliyakar has another interpretation. This expression, Yeshli Rav, is critically important. Says the Kliyakar, Mashma Rav, Avalokol. What does Esav say to him? Yeshli Rav, I have, I got a lot. I got plenty. What, did he, what didn't he say? I've got everything. I have everything I need. Yaakov Amar, what did Yaakov say? God has been gracious to me, and I've got everything. God has been good to me, and I have everything. Yaakov said, Kol. Esav says, Rav. Why? Because the Russia can have everything, they still live as if they have nothing. They want more. They always want more. So when they ask them, what do you have? You say, I have plenty. They can have as much as Bill Gates or Warren Buffett put together. And when you say, how are you doing? They say, I make a living. I'm comfortable. I have a lot. Because their happiness is defined not by what they have, but what they don't have. If only I had more. Right? The, the, uh, the Gemara says, a person who has Maya wants Messiah, a person who has 100 wants 200. It's not enough. But the righteous are the opposite. Even if they have little, they realize whatever I have, it's what I meant to have. And if it's what I meant to have, then I have everything that I need. And they view, they live their life as if I have everything. I've said this a million times. If our happiness is determined by what we don't have, we will never be happy because we could always have more. But if our happiness is determined by what we have, we can always be happy because we always have something. That's what it says in Kohelas. And so on. And so on. And the Kliyakar goes on to develop this. But I would say to you that there's more than just meets the eye. Because it's not only Yaakov who says Kol. It's not only Yaakov who says Yeshli Kol as opposed to Esav's Yeshli Rav. It's all of our Avos. Where did Yaakov get that from? Where did Yaakov get that from? Yaakov got it from Yitzchak, who got it from Avraham. What do we say in benching? Bakol, 
Where do those words come from? Bakol mikol kol. With Avram it says, Vashem beirachas Avraham, bakol. God blessed Avram with everything. One interpretation means a daughter, but the other is bakol, he had everything. Which is bizarre. Because Avram had everything. We read this a couple weeks ago. Told us. Avram had everything. What do you mean he had everything? If he had everything, what comes right afterwards? He starts to look for a wife for his son Yitzchak. Well, if he had everything, the very next, sec- next section describes something he didn't have. So he obviously didn't have everything. And when does it say he had everything? When does it say Hashem Berach is Avram Bakol? Right after what? The funeral of his wife, his beloved wife, his life partner. He has everything after he buries his wife. He nearly buries his son. And now he wakes up and he says, Yesh Likol, I have everything? I think the answer is yeah. When we confront our own mortality, when we confront our own fragility and vulnerability, we recognize that whatever we have is everything. That it's just not worth it. Being bent out of shape and being upset by, being anxious and tense, seeking more of, doesn't give us more happiness, it takes away from our happiness. So when, when, you lose one, when one loses a wife, when one almost loses a son, when one confronts their own mortality, they realize, you know what? Every day is precious. Yeshli kol. I have everything I need. And then he realizes it's time to pass that on to Yitzchak. So Avram, Vashem Beirach is Avram Bakol. God bequeathed to Avram a capacity to live life realizing, Bakol, I have everything I need. What happens then? It says, Avram Nasan es kol asherlo li Yitzchak. Avram gave him kol asherlo. So you can understand it to mean simplistically, Avram gave Yitzchak all of his material possessions. But I would interpret it to mean he gave him the kol. He gave him the capacity for coal, the capacity for being happy with your lot, realizing that you have everything. And then what does Yitzchak say in the context of the brachos? It says, Mikol. Right? When Esav takes the brachos last week. Where is this? Sorry, two weeks ago. Um, when Esau comes to the bracha and Yaakov says, one second, who are you? One second, you were already here. And your brother brought, and I ate mikol from everything. I've tasted mikol. I've tasted from the mikol that Avram gave me. So with, with Avram it says, with Yitzchak it says, Mikol. And with Yaakov, when Yisav says, Yeshli Rav, what does Yaakov say? Yeshli Kol. And that's the origin of, in our benching, Bakol, Mikol, Kol. And what do we say? Hazan Es, Hakol. What do we do after we eat a meal? Psh, my stomach's full. I just had a meal. I feel full and satiated. And therefore, Ube Rachta. I say, Hazan Es, Hakol. God, you satisfy the Kol within me. So this is an incredible bracha that we have as the Jewish people. Avram had, he gave it to Yitzchak, he gave it to Yaakov, he gave it to us. The capacity to live life and to feel a sense of coal. I have everything that I need. So Esav had wealth, he says, Yeshli Rav. Yaakov has wealth and he says, Yeshli Kol. I've got everything. I've got everything. Pasuk Yud. Vayomer Yaakov, Alna imna matasichein be'inecha velakachta minchasim miyadi. 
Batirtseni. This is a wild pasuk. Yaakov says, "No, no, no! Don't reject the gifts. Don't reject the gifts. I beg of you, if I found favor in your, your eyes, then accept this gift. My mincha, my gift, miadi from my hand. Why? Because seeing you, Alkain Raisi Panecha, seeing your face, my brother, Kiros Panealokim, it's like seeing the face of God. Vatirtseni. It's like seeing the face of God, and you were appeased by me." It's like Yaakov is breathing this big sigh of relief. No, 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 just take the gifts. This has been unbelievable. This went much better than I thought. I'm so happy that we're able to reconcile. Just take the gifts. But isn't it a little over the top? Peneel, Kim. What about the Yisra Hanifa? False flattery is a biblical prohibition. You're not allowed to give false flattery. You're not allowed to flatter a wicked person. There's all kinds of discussions in halacha. Can you honor someone at a dinner? You know, they give you a lot of money, but they're intermarried. There's some outreach organizations who've honored celebrities who were intermarried. And there was a big discussion. Okay, it's nice they give you a lot of money. It's nice they're a celebrity. But is it a Nisa Hanifa? Is it a Nisa Hanifa of flattery? So there's a big discussion. Flattery may get you everywhere, but should it? I once gave a shir with source sheets on that. Maybe actually, maybe we'll revisit that, the Shabbos. Flattery. False flattery, flattery. So what's Yaakov doing here? Kiros Penel Isn't it a little bit over the top? So look at the Svarno. He didn't mean, says the Svarno, and the Kliyakar says the same thing. Yaakov didn't mean, I'm flattering you to see you're like God. What he meant is, first of all, the word Elohim has multiple meanings. It can mean God, but it also means judge. It means diplomat. It means dignitary. So perhaps Yaakov meant, seeing your face is like seeing the face of a dignitary of an elevated person. But moreover, says the Kliyakar, look inside, when one goes to see God three times a year, the Pasuk says, when one goes to see God in the Shalash Regalim, God says, we shouldn't see His face empty-handed. We have to bring a Korban Ola, a special Korban called an Ola's Re'iyah, because we are being seen by God. It deserves a gift. So Yaakov is saying the same way when one visits God three times a year, they don't go empty-handed. I'm reuniting with you. I don't want to be empty-handed. I'm coming giving you a gift. Accept it. I mow that the brachos are not mine. So rather than Esav being, admitting they belong to Yaakov, the Kliyakar says, Yaakov is implicitly saying they belong to you. You're my older brother. Just accept them. Says the Kliyakar, Yaakov is saying, forget the gifts. You're right. Forget the gifts. I'm giving you back the brachos. You're older genealogically, biologically, they belong to you. When our father blessed us, blessed me, he thought I was you, he was thinking about you. So if the blessings aren't mine, so where did I get all this wealth? How did I achieve all of this, amass all of this? So God was good to me. Even 
מכל מקום בלי בו הייסה הכוונה, כשם שנבהרתי בלילה, כאשר איסי פני אלוקים אמר שלך, כך נבהרתי בראי אס פניך. So the Kliyakar has this really radical interpretation. Yaakov is saying to him, the brachas really belong to you, I'm giving them back to you, accept them. If you ask, where did I get all this wealth if I don't deserve the brachos, it's God's gracious, graciousness. But really Yaakov was saying, Netzach Yisrael lo yishakir, that my wealth and my success is the greatest evidence about who's the real chosen one. In the same way that I wrestled and overcame the angel last night, I'm no longer fearful of you, big brother. I'm prepared to take you on and will triumph over you as well. Okay, keep going. כך מסביר חסי אשר הוא אסלח, כי חנני אלוקים וכי יש לכל, ויפצר בו ויקח. Take the blessing, that's what the Kliyakar was referring to. Take the blessing that I'm giving you, giving back to you, because God's been good to me, that's where my wealth is from. כי יש לכל, because I have everything. ויפצר בו ויקח. He convinced them and he took it. ויאמר, נישא ונלכה, let's go, ואלכה לנגדך. So Esav now gets back the blessing. So Esav, you talk about the ultimate reconciliation, he gets back the blessing, so he says, now we can travel together. We're brothers, a band of brothers. So Yaakov says, no, 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 I, I have vulnerable young children, I have a whole entourage, they're fragile, you know, I'm going to delay, they're going to die. You go ahead of me, Esav, go ahead. I'll go... According to my pace, the regular malacha shelafanai, the regular iladim, ad asher avol adonis seira. You go ahead. I'll meet you there. I'm slow. I don't want to slow you down. You go ahead of me. You go ahead of me. I'm laat. Look at Rashi. Ve'achal enagdecha. This was the proposal. Esav said to him, "Let me go with you, opposite you. B'shava lacha, even with you. Tovazu esa lacha. Sha'arich yamai mehalachti lelachas laat kasher atatzarich v'zel enagdecha b'shava lach." Esav said, "Even though I'm much faster than you." I'll slow down in order to go together. And Yaakov says, no, I can never ask you to do that. You go. You go ahead of me. Yaakov says, because my children are soft. They're vulnerable. They're young. Says the Ibn Ezra, that's what I mentioned before. The oldest was 12 years old. The children are young. They're very young. If you've traveled with young children, it ain't easy. In the best of circumstances. So Yaakov says, you go ahead of me. And I will meet you there. Esav said, let me, let me at least leave someone to escort you. You want, you want me to go ahead? That's fine, but let me leave someone to take you. And he said, for what purpose? Let me just find favor in your eyes. Go ahead. Esav went to Seir. V'yakov nasa sukosa v'yiven lo bayis. And Yaakov goes to a place called Sukkot, and he builds a house. He built a house for his family. He built a pen for his flock, and therefore he called the name of the place Sukkot. Sukkot. What's going on over here? Why in the same direction? Well, they were headed to the same place, same kivun, but they weren't going to the same destination. We'll see why he was going to... to uh, That's the next passage, which we're not going to get into. But what's going on here with the whole Sukkot thing? Yaakov goes Sukkosa. Yaakov goes to Sukkot. 
We know Sukkot. What's Sukkot all about? Why is Yaakov going there now? And what's this whole thing with the flock, the pen? So look at the Orachayim HaKadosh. Rav Chaim Ibn Atar. Says the Orachayim, Perish Vatam Kriya Shema Sukosa. Okay, so he built pens for his sheep. It doesn't say Yaakov was going to an established city called Sukkos because it wasn't an established city called Sukkos. When did it get that name? Only now. And why did he name it that? Because he built these uh, pens for his sheep. <laughs> but that's a kind of peculiar thing. Right? He didn't name it having to do with his children, his wives. He didn't name it in any way having to do with having survived this ordeal of being reunited with his wicked brother. He names it after the, the flock. Yaakov here exhibited a sensitivity and kindness that no one before him had ever done. Normally they allowed their animals to graze in the boiling hot sun with no shelter. Yaakov is the first to take pity. Peter should listen to this. Yaakov is the first to take pity on animals. He builds the shelter, the shade, because he cares about the animals. So even though, of course, it's silly, you don't name the city over the animals, he's naming the city corresponding to the kindness and sensitivity that he showed the animals. That's the Orachayim HaKadosh's answer. But I'd like to suggest a different answer. I'd, I'd like to suggest a different answer. The, um, the tour, the tour of Yaakov ben Asher, the same author of the Balaturim, the tour quotes from his brother Rabbi Yehuda, a tradition. The Shalash Regalim, our three major festivals, are modeled after our Avos. Pesach corresponds with Avram, Shavuos corresponds with Yitzchak, and Sukkot corresponds with Yaakov Avinu. And the 12 months of Rosh Chodesh correspond with the 12 tribes. What do the connections mean? What does Yaakov have to do with Sukkot? What in the world does Yaakov have to do with Sukkot? So the truth is, the first time that you find the word Sukkot in the Torah, the Maskots gave a drush about this on Sukkot, and tried to claim that Sarah, according to Unclus, but leave that aside, the t- first time you find the actual word Sukkot in the Torah is our Parsha, is in reference to Yaakov. And that's very significant. We have a tradition from the Vilna Gaon or Tzadok HaKoyin and others that you can understand the essence of a subject by the first time you see the word used in the Torah, in Tanakh. So to understand the holiday of Sukkot, you have to understand and appreciate the relationship of Yaakov to these structures called Sukkot. And the Orchayim gives us one interpretation, but I would like to suggest another one. And I think in order to understand it, you have to think about what just happened, the episode that just occurred. At the end of the attempt at reconciliation... Esav proposes they travel together. And Yaakov objects and he gives a politically correct and non-insulting excuse. My children are young, we move slowly, I don't want to delay you. And the Torah describes how Esav started back towards Seir, Yaakov goes right away to Sukkot. And when gets some, you get the strong impression by the Pesukim we just read, there's something about Yaakov building Sukkot, booths, and naming a city after it, that has to do with his meeting with Esav. What about his encounter with Esav motivates him to build Sukkot? What did he take away from their meeting that prompts him to construct these huts? So I'll tell you what I want to suggest. Is that Yaakov basically received a Musa Shmuz from Esav here. I mean, look at the conversation. 
Esav and Yaakov reunite. And what does Esav tell Yaakov that he was expecting to find in his brother? No assets, no material wealth, no possessions, spiritual achievement. He should be lugging around his suitcases of Sfarim, he's written. He should be on the phone endlessly answering Shilas because he's the Posei Kador. He should be, Yechves, uh, have the largest Tehillim in the world, drenched in tears. Esav says, one second here. I was the hunter. I was the man of the field. I was the one with big eyes for money, wealth, women. And now he comes to Yaakov and they have this reunion and he expects to find Yaakov. Maybe he's married, maybe he's not because really Torah, so um, Naso, he's so occupied by Torah, he didn't have time for a wife. Certainly he's not going to have any wealth. He, does, he could care less about those things, right? But instead, what does he find? They get together and he takes a look and he says, What is all of this to you? Lach! What is all this to you? You were the Ishtam Yoshev Oalim. You never knew from any of these things. Now you don't have one wife. You've got four. You don't have one car. You've got a fleet. You don't have what? You have entourage of unbelievable wealth. What is going on here? What is going on here? And I would argue, I'd like to humbly suggest, that Yaakov receives the message. So where does he go? He immediately builds a sukkah. And what's a sukkah? A sukkah reminds us of how temporary this world is, how unimportant those things are, how we leave the permanence of our home, the diras keva, and we go to a diras arai. He goes to sukkos, va'even lo bayis. He builds a house, but he does it with the theme of sukkos. Yes, he builds a house, but he realize, he builds a house, but his home is built with the theme of it being a sukkah with the recognition that all of this is fleeting and temporary and insignificant, Yaakov acknowledges the message of the Musa Shmuz. You're right. I've got to go back to realizing all of this doesn't matter. He names that place Sukkot specifically in response to his meeting with Esav. Sukkot is the holiday of Yaakov because it reminds us there's nothing wrong with having four wives. Well, maybe there's nothing wrong with having multiple wives. Nothing wrong with having much wealth. Nothing wrong with a fleet of cars. As long as you remember Sukkot. As long as you remember it's temporary, it's fleeting, it's impermanent, it's not what matters, it's not going to last. So we see here in this reunion that Yaakov prepares with great reluctance the three-fold strategy Diplomacy, war, and prayer. It goes well. Why does it go well? What's the secret to it going well? Taking the high road, deference. He deflates the issue by you let the you let the adversary know there's no fight. There's no one to fight with. <laughs> I didn't come here to fight. So you can be angry, but if I apologize, if I am deferential, there's no one to fight with. You let the air out of the balloon. And that's what Yaakov does, and Esav embraces him, according to at least one opinion, sincerely. And they're able to reconcile. Esav gives him a little musr. Yaakov hears the musr and goes immediately in order to build Sukkot. Have a fantastic week.